Coach Gable, this legendary coach who I knew very well, 1972 Olympic champion, uh-huh. nobody scored a point on him, you know, one title after title. He walked over to me and he said, who are you? Hey, my name's Tom. You know, I've been at Syracuse. I've been to your camps. I'm going to transfer here. And this is what he said to me. He said, uh, hey, Tom, uh, you're not going to get any better sitting there. You're sitting on the bench trying out for one of the most prestigious sports programs in the world, no exaggeration. And the head coach walks up to you and looks at you and says, hey kid, you're not gonna get any better just sitting there on the bench. If you want to make something with your life, you gotta get off the bench and get in the arena. Today, you get a chance to hear from Coach Tom Ryan, who went from wrestling at the highest levels as a college student to now leading a national championship wrestling program at the Ohio State University. You're going to be blown away by quote after amazing quote from Coach Tom Ryan today on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. Coach Tom Ryan, thank you so much for being part of this podcast with me today. Great to be with you today. Hey, Appreciate it. I have been looking forward to this for some time just because I am a huge fan of collegiate wrestling. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I, I followed uh, uh, your background, and I was greatly looking forward to meeting you and talking to you as well. And Appreciate it. You're yeah, a bad dude. Thank Appreciate you. Um, you're a bad <laughs> dude too. So we're going to have a couple of bad dudes just talking to each other about growing up and, and uh, choosing suffering and the hardships that the military and martial sports, you know, kind of the, 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 the martial sports have in common. Um, for those of you who don't uh, recognize Coach Ryan, he is coming to me from his office in the Ohio State University's wrestling complex. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, behind me, I've got the curtain down, but behind me are five full mats. Uh, there are mats about uh, 8,000 square foot complex. And then outside of that's the lacrosse stadium, the football stadium. So I'm right in the heart of, uh, you know, some really elite level student athletes. Yeah. And so for everybody in the United States, for, for folks that are tuning into this podcast from around the world, you may not know that one of the most prestigious sporting collegiate institutions in America is the Ohio State Buckeyes. They take all of their sports very seriously to include two national championships as uh, the wrestling team having won two national championships under Coach Ryan. Is that correct? Well, we, we, we've been second a bunch. We've been second five or six, I think maybe six times. We won one. Um, you know, we've had quite a few national champs, Olympic champs, and it's just, it's just, uh, you know, wrestling is embedded in the fabric of the state of Ohio and really the Northeast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, well, we're just a good spot. So, yeah. So anyway, the second national championship, I guess I'm talking about 2022. So, uh, you know, I'm not making a prediction or anything coach, but I'm just saying, you know, shouldn't be, shouldn't be long. That's right. It's coming. I also want to point out, you know, being the, the head coach of a wrestling program in, an, in a major NCAA uh, school, it's a pretty amazing honor. But can we just admit, it probably doesn't come with the same paycheck that being the head coach of a football team has at an NCAA school like the Ohio State Buckeyes, right? That's right. Nope. We, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Buckeye football fan. You know, you go to those games, 110,000 people, you know, packed in a stadium. There's 300,000 outside the stadium. And we're certainly blessed to have that, right? Because without it, there's probably not enough income to build the facilities. And, you know, football's really been the breadwinner, basketball yeah. as well. The good news for Buckeye fans and, and the sport in general is that we do pay our own bills here. So wrestling, the income for wrestling we actually are one of the few sports that actually can pay our own way which really is is important to us yeah well i was just about to say we're not going to get into your net worth versus the net worth of the head football coach (laughs) we're not going to talk about that but the fact that you have this ability to bring in some of the most talented you, you attract some of the most talented wrestlers in the world to ohio state and uh what a great privilege to be able to to coach those guys and um see what kind of athletes they become right 
Yeah, no, it's it's uh, for sure. The sport has really transformed my life in many ways. The people I've met, right? The struggles you go through. I often say that it's a you know sport. Sport is just a blessing. It allows you to learn so much about yourself in what is really a relatively safe environment, right? The worst thing that can happen is you lose, right? right? And if you learn these intangibles about how to grow, how to improve, you know, self-assessment, all these things that we can learn. When you get out of a little bubble, the sports bubble, hopefully it has an impact, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't you tell everybody how you ended up wrestling in school before you ended up going to college as a wrestler? Why wrestling instead of something like football or basketball? Well, yeah. So, so it's interesting. I was not, I didn't get introduced to wrestling until seventh grade. Now there are some young people out there, you know, they're, they come out of the womb and they're in their stance and they got the singlet and the parents got them into sport. But I loved, I love soccer. I love baseball. I love basketball. Basketball was probably my, my true love. My, 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 probably my, my favorite sport. And I played, you know, second grade, third grade, all the way through seventh grade. And in seventh grade, there was a tryout. Now, before then, there was no tryout. You just on the team. Mm-hmm. And I was, or, I mean, I thought I was good. I mean, I scored 12, 13 points a game. All right. You know, I was aggressive. Well, I get into seventh grade and I try out. And Mr. O'Leary, love him. Mr. O'Leary, you know, back in the days when we were kids, right, there was no warm, fuzzy explanation. <laughs> right. Nobody cared about your feelings, right? If your feelings didn't really matter, right? You walk in the locker room. And you look at the board, and your name is either on the board or not. So I remember the morning, the team's going to be picked. I get into school in the morning. I go to that locker room. I look on the wall. My name's not on the wall. I'm like, what? I go Obviously, to there's a mistake. Right, right. There's something wrong. I knock on his office door, seventh grade. I go, Mr. O'Leary, I, I don't see my name on the, on the wall. Did I not make the team? And he said, Tom, listen, you know, you try hard, but you might want to try maybe try wrestling. You've kind of foul a lot. And uh, you're aggressive, so maybe try wrestling. Now, my brother was getting into wrestling. So that night I go home. I go home, and and I'm upset. And, you know, Mom, we had seven kids, and Mom didn't have too much time to, you know, pay too much attention to the fact I didn't make the basketball team. She was she was with me. Yeah. But it wasn't this, this uh, you know, feeling sorry for yourself didn't last too long. So my brother said, you're going to wrestle. I said, I'm never wearing a singlet. <laughs> I'm not wearing wear one with a uniform. Anyway. I tried out, you know, and, and from the first day in the room, it was like God was just speaking to me. Yeah. You're made for this, Tom. You're, and, and, and uh, you know, you went through a little hardship, but you found your way to the wrestling room, and you're going to make a difference there. So I love out. Yeah, I was going to say I love this story because I got this image of the movie Happy Gilmore where he's a hockey player that ends up playing golf and you're a wrestler who was playing basketball and your coach recognized, Hey, you probably are better off on the mat than, you know, shooting threes like Steph Curry. So, Hey man, why don't you consider wrestling instead? Yeah. And it was a good decision because I'm about five, eight. I haven't, I haven't, you know, I was, I was about 75 pounds at the time in seventh grade. I was a little kid and, you know, wrestling was one of those sports that, you know, at 75 pounds, you weren't going to be a linebacker. That's right. right. You, you mean, so, you know, you're facing somebody your own size. And, and it was a perfect sport for me, you know, as I, as I moved through school, you know, not one of the biggest guys in the school. Yeah, and obviously you fell in love with the support. So when did you realize this is it for me? Like, I love wrestling. I loved it, honestly, the first day. Now, I never thought, right, my first day in the room that, you know, wrestling at a much higher level was something that <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't forecast you know, six years down the road. All I knew that every day, I love the struggle. I love the one-on-oneness of it. I love that I, really it was, it was for the most part in my control. And I felt like in general in life, not too many things are directly in right. our control, right? I love that about wrestling. And I would say after my eighth grade year, so my second year in, they moved me to varsity uh, in eighth grade. In New York, you can wrestle varsity in eighth grade. So about a year in, uh, I sensed that not only did I love it, but I, 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 was, I, I could be pretty good at it. And it became, you know, somewhat for me of an identity. So I went all in, you know, yeah. all summer long yeah. was, you know, I know you were from, you know, we're in Iowa all summer, even as a little kid, they ran these Jay Robinson intensive uh-huh. camps. They were one month long. 
and I would attend them. There were four training. He was a ranger. Jay Robinson, yeah. head coach, so was a ranger like you. And uh, he had a ranger mindset in his training, and it really transformed the way I thought. Uh, so I'm really grateful to Jay and those camps out there. They were one month long, like I said, four workouts a day. So anyway, that's kind of a long story of, of when I felt and really fell in love with it and realized that it was going to be my life for a while. Yeah, and obviously you're good at it. Um, newsflash for anybody who's not aware of Coach Ryan's wrestling record as a collegiate athlete. Um, you're good enough that you end up wrestling in Iowa. Now, um, at the University of Iowa, I, I grew up in uh, as a kid in Iowa. I grew up on the mat wrestling in Iowa. And everyone in the state of Iowa knows about the University of Iowa and Dan Gable Wrestling. But people outside of the wrestling community don't recognize the name Dan Gable. So can you tell people what it was like wrestling for four years at the University of Iowa under the legendary coach Dan Gable? Yeah, so Jeff, so... so, um, so you know, back you know, when we were kids, right, there was no internet, right? Right. I mean, I came to school in 1987. This is blowing some people's minds right now, right. but there was no I mean, such thing as the internet. I mean, right, there were no cell phones, right? Like you, like, 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 like me, when I wanted to talk to a buddy on the phone, you know, the phone was in the kitchen in the center of the house and mom was in the kitchen quite a bit. We had seven kids. She was amazing, amazing woman. Um, you would, you know, Rotary, you would dial the phone. Yep, the old rotary dial. Heck yeah. And then you would extend that line as far as you could go to get to a place. Try to get some privacy. A little privacy. But there was no internet. So Gable and Iowa, you know, was the wide world of sports, right? You would watch, you know, uh, the and you would see Iowa wrestling occasionally. And I was blown away by the level of intensity, yeah. right? The chance they were winning. Now, initially... I signed a full scholarship to Syracuse University. My brother ended up wrestling in college. He was at Syracuse. Iowa never called me. Uh, I wanted to go there, but they didn't know who I was. And uh, they didn't know that I existed. They had, they had you know bigger plans than uh -huh. me. Um, so I went to Syracuse for two years on a full ride. All right. Had some success there, but really was yearning. I had this deep, deep motivation to wrestle for Gable. So after my sophomore year, I packed my car and I moved out to University of Iowa. Now, Gable was coaching Olympic champions. Yeah. To give people right, a background, this guy won every single Big Ten championship he ever coached in, 26 in a row. He had 17 national team titles. You know, it was the mecca of college wrestling oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah, and for people that don't recognize the name Dan Gable, just go do a Google search. If you look at the winning percentage of any NCAA coach in history, Dan Gable will show up at the top of the list. Like, it's unprecedented what that guy was able to do in college sports. And so anybody who wrestled during those years knew about Iowa and knew about Dan Gable. Would you tell people what it's like wrestling under Dan Gable at the University of Iowa? was probably one of the single greatest decisions you know i ever made right and it was it was decision as you as you have done in your life right and many others it's really it's really believing in yourself and taking a step outside your comfort zone right i mean i was comfortable i was living with my brother i really liked syracuse but it was a leap of faith it was a leap of faith but the motivation was so strong to wrestle for him and be my just be my best you know there was a guy in my weight class when i went out there that was fifth in the country uh, he was a returning All-American, same age as me. The room was riddled with talented people. But ultimately, it was this deep, deep motivation to be my best and know that, you know, I think, right, we both know how important trust is. Yeah. And I completely, like, trust precedes progress, right? In any, anything I've ever progressed in, whether it's relationship, the sport, right, trust was such a critical component to it. And Gable had my full trust. If he said X, I did X, right? If he said Y, I did Y. And wrestling for him, number one, incredible trust for him. He had amazing emotional control. He was never a yeah. screamer. Uh, he was he was he was great technically. I trusted his 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 process, and 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 uh, I trusted who he brought into the program and the coaches that he brought in and the student athletes. And I really flourished underneath. 
uh, under underneath him as a leader. Yeah. He's just a fantastic. Yeah, I want to point this out. So for people that are listening right now, I, I don't miss what you just heard. Tom had it made at Syracuse University as a wrestler. He's it's a major school. It's a very prestigious school. Um, he's got a full ride, and he decides after two years of wrestling at Syracuse, I'm going to take a risk, a risk that you don't have to take. I'm going to drive my car from Syracuse, New York, to Iowa City, Iowa, no small distance, and I'm going to go give it a shot. And you describe this as a leap of faith, but I kind of want to know what was going through your mind when you said, I'm going to show up and I'm going to try out for Gable at the University of Iowa, but if I don't make it, I'm putting it all on the line here. Yeah. So, you know, like, like a lot of people that walk the planet have done my motivation far outweighed, right. Any, any, uh, obstacle, right. That I thought I could face, right. It just, it didn't matter. It didn't matter who was there, who was in my weight, how good they had done before. Uh, you know, not knowing anybody on the team, uh, paying my way, any obstacle that I could think of being in my way, it really was squashed by the motivation I had to win a national championship, yeah. right? In some degree, right? Uh, you know, I, I, it was my God, right? Being a national champion was something that, right? Nothing would get in the way with, in the way of, and if I, if I was going to do it, my best chance was doing around people that we're doing, of course, right. I had right. immersed myself right into the environment. It's like watching the environment from the outside is one thing, but immersing yourself into it. I mean, is the only way to really understand what it takes. So I drove through the night, um, stayed in my car. Uh, uh, what I knew, I knew the area cause I went to camp out there every summer. As I mentioned, I was out there for months. So yeah. I knew the area. I knew where the wrestling room was. I was in it a lot uh, during my summers, and at around two thirty in the afternoon, a June, a warm summer day in, in in June, right after school ended at Syracuse, I walked in the wrestling room and I sat in the corner, and it was packed, and I was kind of I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Coach Gable, this legendary coach who I knew very well, nineteen seventy two, Olympic champion, uh -huh. nobody scored a point on him you know, one title after title, he walked over to me and he said, who are you? And cause their team was, you know, it was, it was, they were, they were, they were it was open math, but they were yeah. practicing. And I said, Hey, my name's Tom. You know, I've been at Syracuse. I've been to your camps. I'm going to transfer here. And this is what he said to me. He said, uh, Hey Tom, uh, you're not going to get any better sitting there. Wow. So why don't you and go wrestle these two guys? Now I didn't know who these two guys were. They were freshmen, and their names were Troy and Terry Steiner. Uh -huh. Terry is now the women's coach of Team USA. Uh, he's coached quite a few Olympic champions, and he was a uh, multiple-time All-American and national champion for Iowa. He wasn't at the time. He was, a, he was a redshirt freshman. And then Troy was the head coach at Fresno State, assistant coach at Wisconsin, now helping Minnesota. He was a, a national champion. So anyway, they're much smaller than me, and I start working out with them. And it didn't go the way I thought. I can imagine. You know, I thought I was the lot. You thought you, you know, were all, you thought you were everything, or you thought you were all that. And you realized really quickly, I, maybe you're not. I was, I was, Jeff. I thought I was just more fit. I thought I was tougher. I thought I understood discomfort at a higher level. You know, I really felt like I set a standard at Syracuse and I'd be ready for this. And, and despite all the effort I gave to be ready when I went out there, these two guys had me so tired. I mean, I was getting beat unmercifully. Uh, you know, I often say if my mom was in the bleachers, she would have said, we're going home. Yeah, she would have thrown the towel in the ring. Um, yeah, no one's going to do that to my little boy. And uh, But, man, the beatings kept coming and kept coming. And eventually, as you know, being a ranger, man, eventually you make these little gains you hold on to. You make these priceless little gains. Yeah. You get to a leg and you get one finish and you get one takedown and, 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 and they get 50 instead of 51 to zero. And then you get two and, you know, by 90 days of working out two or three times a day, things started to get even. And then 
you start to pass them by, you know, and it's just, it's right. The gift of just coming back, right. The simple, the simple gift of just no matter what I'm coming back tomorrow. I hope somebody who's listening to you right now is sitting in a job and they're thinking, you know what? I got a pretty good deal going on right now, but it's not my dream. And why would I be willing to take the risk and lose everything that I've got going for me and go pursue that dream that I had, the thing that prompted you to get in your car and leave Syracuse University and drive to the University of Iowa? But man, Coach Gable said something that I think will stick with me. His quote to you, I think, is going to stick with me for the rest of my life because he looked you in the eyes and said, you're not going to get any better just sitting on the bench. So do you want that dream? Because if you do, get off of the bench, get off of your seat, and right. go go get on the mat and go pursue it. That's right, Jeff. And, you know, I, you know it's, look, right, I'm, I'm 52 now, and I can reflect, right? At the time, I was a 19, 20-year-old kid when I went out there. And you're just full of fire, and you're full of this incredible, this incredible aim that I had, right? To be the best, you know, in, in a sport that I fell in love with, and, you know, I, I think, you know, Coach Gable was an amazing, amazing leader, but there wasn't a ton of, there wasn't this daily coddling, you know, this daily communication of, hey, how are you doing today? I saw you got your butt kicked all day yesterday. <laughs> but like, that hurt. Right. Can I take you out for a sandwich and get you a smoothie? There was none of that. You know, there was, you know, there was this sense, and I think this is just, when you, when you can reflect, right, I reflect back on, it didn't matter. I think so many of us, it mattered, but it didn't matter. So many of us get caught up in what the world thinks. And what does this person think of me and that person think of me? And, and the reality was that despite the fact that there wasn't a lot of communication between he and I, uh, I had a daily assessment of how I did, right? That I, could, I was living in reality. I knew I was getting better, but I knew I was too weak. I knew I wasn't fit enough. I knew my technique wasn't good enough, and I didn't need him to tell me that. And, you know, despite what he was thinking, because I'm sure when he watched the first day of practice, he was thinking, well, he can't help us, right? Because that's what I right. probably would have been thinking. Yeah. Was, well, I was hoping, you know, you're going to transfer. He's a free guy. I was hoping for more. But, you know, I did come back in the morning early and he saw me there and he saw me come back in the afternoon and he probably heard I was back there in the evening. And, you know, over time, he started to see that this guy's not going to be knocked off course by the challenges that he's facing. Yeah, He's got heart, basically, is what he started to see. Tom's got heart. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't say this at all, right, like you. I mean, I know the life that you lived, right? And it's not at all to be boastful in any way. It's just for the people listening. Like, look. I didn't know my life would end up here. I didn't know. I, I wasn't certain of that, but I knew that putting one step in front of the other, you know, one foot in front of the other was the only way to progress. You know? Yeah. I, um, I, there's so much that I hope people are hearing right now. Um, what you basically did is you made a decision. I'm not going to take the easy path. I'm going to, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to be willing to choose suffering for anybody who doesn't know you, they may not be aware that you got a book in print and the title of the book, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I can't imagine the conversation to convince your publishers to allow you to title a book, Chosen Suffering, and how yeah. Chosen Suffering helps somebody become the, 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 the best version of themselves that they're going to be able to be. So can we talk about just some of the chosen uh, decisions that you made to not pursue the easy path, but to go ahead and uh, follow the harder path and how that forged your character and forged you into the leader that you are today and yeah. the very successful coach that you become. Yeah. I don't know anyone. I don't really know anyone. Uh, I can't put my finger on anybody in my life that I know well that has not chosen the hard way at some point, chosen the hard way at some point in their life. So when I wrote Chosen Suffering, uh, the name, the name actually, um, it, 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 it evolved from, from unchosen suffering. Right. Right. So, so right, we all, so I, right, there's two types of sufferings, right? The, 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 the kind that we choose, 
right? I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I haven't, I mean, I, I think I've thought through this pretty well, uh, but there's two types of sufferings in the world, right? They're the kind that we, we, we bring upon ourselves and the kind that uh, we don't bring upon ourselves, but just the force of nature, just living in a fallen world, a tough world, bring upon us. Uh, and it was, it was the deepest pain of unchosen suffering that led me kind of work backward to, wow, yeah. I've made a lot of really hard choices in my life that have helped me grow. But quite frankly, despite all of the tough choices I made that made me better, that, that put me under duress, uh, that caused some sort of hardship and the hardship just could have been choosing the toughest partner in the room. That right. Day. Yeah. Right. Choosing someone that was bigger, faster, stronger than me. And I'm going to fight them for an hour one-on-one that's chosen suffering. That's choosing to do something that's really difficult that helps you grow. And then there's just unchosen suffering, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to, which yeah. is <clears throat> just the pains that come to all of us, right? The, the mother that passes away young in a car accident, right? Or the father that's diagnosed with uh-huh. cancer or the, or the best buddy, uh, whose, whose wife, uh, you know, with two children is diagnosed with, you know, uh, with, with, with a rare disease. So, you know, all these things come our way and some we ask for and some we don't. But the thing is, you know, regardless of whether we do or not, there's a way to go about managing them and yeah. healing. Yeah. Tom, you're describing so. virtually every episode of this podcast. In fact, that's why this podcast exists is to just help people who are going through hardships or who are about to go through hardships, figure out how to be unbeatable. When you guys reached out to me, I was, you know, I, again, I looked at your background. I'm like, wow, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm talking to, you know, I'm talking, I'm, 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 I'm not preaching. I'm talking to the choir here. Like yeah. you understand yeah. word because your life is exemplified, you know, exactly this. So, you know, it's hard to really understand things, you know, until you've been through it yourself, right? Yeah, I was about to tell you. So re- relatively early on in the military for me, I joined the army and literally asked the army recruiter for the toughest job. I want the hardest job in the army for the same reason that you packed up your car and went to the University of Iowa. I just want to know if I can make it. I want to see if I've got what it takes. And maybe I do, maybe I don't. The only way to find out is to try it. My first couple of months in the Army's Ranger Regiment, which was a brutal few months, some one of my bosses pulled me off to the side and said, Jeff, you will never survive in this unit unless you, and I will never forget the next two words, uh, the next few words. He said, unless you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Basically, you better learn how to suffer and you better learn how to suffer well or else this unit will chew you up and spit you out. I just got the chills, man. I love that line. That advice stuck with me for my entire, to the last day that I was in the army, I heard his words ringing in the back of my mind. You got to get on, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're going to be successful in this line of work. No. And we're in the, you know, you know, wrestling is, is, you know, a combat sport, like you said, a martial arts sport. And I say the same thing to my student athletes. It's look, seven minutes is a long time. Yeah to, to, to battle another human being one-on-one. And the reality is that no matter how hard you train, you can't train away discomfort, right? You can't, you can't get to the point where you're not going to be uncomfortable in a wrestling match. The best thing that you can do is do it on a daily basis. So when it comes, it's not foreign to you, right? Get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Be able to be completely stoic and have in in the right frame of mind, no matter what comes your way, no matter how you're feeling. And the only way to do it is to do it. Yeah. Um, I I know a lot of people are listening to the two of us talk right now and they're like, these two guys are crazy. Who on their right mind would choose suffering? Who would become comfortable with being uncomfortable until you've realized the benefits of living like that and how it prepares you for the unchosen suffering, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, I do a little segment, um, Tom, it's called my high five. 
And it's my way of just kind of describing with my guests some of those experiences that I've gone through that are kind of shaped me into the guy that I am. So if you got a moment, I want to do this little high five segment with you. Um, For those of you who are listening, by the way, if you're not watching this broadcast on YouTube, Dylan, the producer who's in the studio right next to me, does this little high five, uh, you know, uh, visual. But you just missed it because you're driving and listening to it instead of watching But I was preparing for this interview and I was thinking, Tom, there are a few areas in my career in the military where this voice was ringing in the back of my head. Jeff, you better get comfortable with being uncomfortable or you'll never survive this kind of job. And I was thinking some of the most uncomfortable moments of my 23 years in the U.S. Army, almost all of them in the Ranger Regiment. And here's my top five. We used to play full contact water polo as a unit early in the morning. We would do it outside in a pool when the water's cold, but this water polo was literally no rules. Do whatever you got to do to get the ball away from your opponent and to score and to throw the ball in the net. So anything went. And I can't tell you how many minutes I spent underwater with someone doing everything that they could to assault me underwater so that I would let go of the water polo ball. And I remember having to get myself calm underwater, not having air to breathe, being attacked by, by multiple guys from my unit and realizing I just have to figure out how to get calm and stay calm under here. And if I can stay calm, I can score. Um, as long as I don't lose my head underwater. So that's number five on my list. Um, here's number four on my list. The Rangers are notorious for packing more and more people onto helicopters when we're assaulting a target. And the funny uh, quote that used to go around is, how many Rangers can you put on this helicopter? And the answer is, well, you can always put one more. It doesn't matter how many are already on there. So you can always put one more. And I have flown hours on a metal floor in a cold helicopter with Rangers stacked two or three deep on top of me just until just to get to a combat uh, mission and thought to myself, I don't even know if I can breathe with all of this weight and equipment on top of me. But I had to get comfortable being uncomfortable on those helicopters. I spent endless hours walking uphill wearing this brutally heavy equipment and just getting to the point that I don't think I have enough physical energy to take one more step, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I might drop dead on the side of this mountain, but I am not going to quit moving forward And I had to learn how to get comfortable under those heavy loads. That's number three on my list. Um, Number four on my list, if, if you can believe this, is getting shot at in combat. And the first couple of times bullets went over my head in combat, I was just kind of excited. And then I eventually had to realize to get myself calm and to remain aware of what's happening around me and not lose control and get excited and do something stupid, getting myself killed or the guys next to me killed. But without a doubt, and I, I know you will recognize this, but the, probably the hardest and one of the, some of the most uncomfortable moments of my military career was having to stand up and speak out um, when no one else in the unit was willing to stand up and speak out against something that was going wrong. And I would rather be physically um, under physical load and heavy pain physically than having to take the moral stance of standing up and speaking out against something that's not right when no one else around me is doing it. And those moments were very uncomfortable. But looking back on it, man, I'm glad I did those moments where I had to stand up and speak out when everyone else around me knew somebody needs to say something, but just didn't have it in them to say it. Those are the moments that shape me into the guy that I am today. That's my top five, you know, kind of uncomfortable moments in the military. And I wish I had more time with you because I'd explain them in a lot more detail. But those were kind of moments of chosen suffering, like your chosen suffering. But Tom, um, one of the things that I am so impressed about your story is how you handled unchosen suffering, the suffering that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy and didn't ask for, but you went through it and you handled it and the way that you handled it. So let's talk about the pain of losing a child. Can you describe um, 
T. What can can you describe yeah. Lynette, your family, your marriage at the time before yeah. your son passed? So when I graduated from the University of Iowa, I moved to Bloomington, Indiana, to be a wrestling coach at IU. A guy by the name of Dwayne Goldman, who was a former Iowa wrestler and standout, four-time Big Ten champion, was the head coach there at the time, and uh, <clears throat> he hired me. And I met when I was there in my second year at IU. I met my wife Lynette. Uh, we have four children together. Uh, life was in- life was incredible. We I got a head coaching job from Indiana. I went to Hofstra which is a small Division One school on Long Island, about 35 miles, uh, 35 mm-hmm. miles east of New York City, about eight miles from the Atlantic Ocean, Jones Beach Theater, you know, the Hamptons, you know, Montauk, we're yeah. 45 minutes east of us. Great place to grow up, great place to raise a family. And we worked, we, I was working there, and life was really good. Uh, I was a head coach at 25 years old, really young to be a head wow. coach. Uh, things were going well. And in my 10th year there, uh, again, we had four, four amazing children. Um, we experienced uh, unchosen suffering at a level that, to me, was unfathomable, right? It, was, it, was, it doesn't happen, right? Children don't pass before their father. Right. I didn't need a lesson in heartache. I didn't need a lesson in, you know, the immense value of spending time with your children, right? Living a life as much as you can of balance and being a father, right? The role of, I had a great father. Uh, so I understood what it was like to be a father. And, and uh, it was February 16th, 2004, um, when I had just gotten home from practice. It was President's Day, so all my kids were with me. We got home from practice. Dinner was at the table. It was around, it was around dinner was on the table. It was about 6.30 at night. We had a nice family dinner at the time. My oldest son, Jordan, was 11. My second son, uh, Jake, was, uh, was eight. Teague was five, and Mackenzie was three. We had a great dinner, and Teague was chosen to take a shower first. He was healthy. He could do 10 pull-ups. Mm. He was incredible fit. He was a five-year-old. He was a coach's son, right? So he was with me all the time in the room. And fitness was just part of our daily life, you know. Um, and he got up from the table, started running around. My wife was chasing him because he was the shower first and she picked him up. She was kind of hiding behind a wall and he didn't know she was there. And as she ran by her, I watched this whole thing unfold. As he ran by her, she scooped him up in her arms. And I can tell you, Jeff, without, you know, I have total recall of the moment, mm-hmm. right? It's etched in, 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 in stone in my, in my, in my mind. I can see it. And when she picked him up, his head was kind of hanging, but something hit me. It was an overwhelming sensation that hit me. I didn't know what it was at the yeah. time. I do now. But she carried him to the back of the house to shower. And within seconds, she was screaming that Teague wasn't breathing. So I ran to the back of the house and I grabbed Teague and I put him on the coffee table. And I checked his pulse and my children were around the coffee table. And I was pumping on his chest and breathing in his mouth. My wife called 911, took them about 14 minutes to get there. And uh, uh, they, they ran some tests and then threw them in the ambulance. My wife and I jumped in the ambulance. We followed an ambulance to the hospital. About an hour and a half later, my kids stayed at the house. About an hour and a half later, the surgeon came out and said, Mr. and Mrs. Ryan, you know, we're sorry. My family had all gathered in the waiting room. You know, in the unthinkable, what do you mean? He was five. He was healthy. Kids don't just fall over. Uh, and it was, it was, it was the, it was the greatest grief that certainly I had ever felt. And quite frankly, I didn't know I had lost wrestling matches, right. That I poured my heart into my team had lost. I had been around some people that lost loved ones, but didn't, couldn't really, couldn't really connect with that loss. I never experienced it, but this was a loss that completely rocked me. It had me curled up in a ball begging for mercy. Uh, I was in a really dark place and so are my kids and so is my wife. And then you just fight your way out of it. Yeah. So February 16, 2004 was really, you know, there were several lines in the sand for me. I'm sure I just heard a five for you, right? Scenarios. And yeah. this was a line in the sand for me. Well, 
a lot of people are wondering, okay, your son is running around the house. He's perfectly healthy. He's, he grows up in an environment where he's very a- uh, active. And in a second, he goes lifeless in your wife's arms. What happened? Yeah. So obviously we didn't know at the time, you know, we sent his DNA to the Mayo Clinic uh, to be checked. We thought it was something called long QT syndrome, which is an electrical impulse problem in his heart where the excitement of the moment, and then there's this, this, this exciting moment where the heart, the heart basically, the impulse that's needed to make the heart beat regularly, it goes into fibrillation, which means the heart rate goes to like 250. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pumping heart like this where there's no blood going right. through the brain and there's no oxygen to the brain, so you pass out. Uh, we, we, you know, we had an autopsy done. We, they, 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 they ruled out long QT syndrome. It wasn't that. And by God's grace, years later, I met the head of the Ross Heart Hospital uh-huh. here at Ohio State University and his head of DNA, genetic research, the head of the Ross, Ross Heart Hospital, his name is Thomas Ryan. <laughs> he got hired here months before me. He's Duke trained. He is from New York. Wow. I'm from New York. So you're getting each other's email, basically, and people are mistaking you. For, like, you're the, the famous heart doctor, and he's the, the coach of the, the wrestling team. They're asking me questions about, about the heart, and I'm telling them, listen, I am Thomas Ryan, but my ACT score was 25. The guy you're looking for had an ACT score of 36. Yeah. I will forward you to him, to Dr. Thomas Ryan. He was a wrestler, same name, grew up in the same state, got hired by Ohio State at the same time. And ironically, he was the man who helped me figure out what happened to my son. They ended up asking for his DNA sample, which is years later. Mm-hmm. The odds of them having that sample were slim. Yeah. It was a God thing. They have the DNA, they test the DNA, and they find out that it was a genetic disorder, that, that it was a gene that's needed to help a normal heart impulse uh, in children. Uh, so it ended up being a blessing for many that hopefully it saves a lot of lives. Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, he had a heart. Oh, this is the long and short of it was he had a massive heart attack. Wow. At five years old, right in front of your eyes, right in front of his, your wife and the, yeah. the rest of your children. And I know this, um, but I, I need to say this for people that are listening to this episode, no amount of suffering on a mat, the physical endure, uh, the physical pain that you were endured as a as a athlete and even as a coach, wrestling and suffering on a mat can compare you can prepare you for that kind of heart pain. So, man, I'm just going to put the ball on the tee and make it really easy for you to hit. How did you get through it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we cried a lot, often. Uh, we huddled together a lot. Um, we uh, leaned on each other a lot. The community got behind us. My wife and I, I mean, she didn't cook for months. There was food delivered to our house all the time. Right? We saw this amazing love overwhelm us from the community. The, the, the greatest part of humanity, right, uh, unveiled itself to us with the deepest love uh, my my son Teague was was stung by a lot of bees on a hiking trip one time, and mm-hmm. my wife didn't want to bury him because he kicked a log, and that log was filled with bees. And we spent, you know, uh, the next ten minutes running from these bees, getting attacked by mm-hmm. them, and she couldn't fathom him being in the ground. Uh, and some donors paid for an above the ground, like mosque or uh, I don't know what you would call it, but an above the ground, mm-hmm. you know, grave for my son. And we actually moved him to Ohio years later, uh, which was one of the reasons we made it easier to come here because we wanted to be, my wife, even though he's in the ground, wanted to be near him. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, right, ultimately, uh, I dug in on a simple concept. What's, what was something that I really didn't think much about, like my kids, you know, when we pulled in the driveway that night without Teague, my, my children asked me where he was. Yeah. I'm back from the hospital and he's not with us. They were waiting at the house, right? So Jake says, where is Teague? And that was the question that, that kind of stuck with me through the grief. Where is he? Now, as a, I was 36 years old at the time, you would think leading people, I knew where he was. 
I didn't know where he was. I didn't know where he went. All I knew was he wasn't at the dinner table anymore. So my journey became, okay, where is he? What are the, what are the plausible options? Where could he be? And I was raised Catholic and went to church every week, but really never understood, you know, God at a deeper Uh level. Is there God? Is there not a God? And quite frankly, the thing that got me through it more than anything was the deep, deep search for truth. Yeah. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, God's real. I'm going to fall in your, I'm going to fall in your lap because I'm soft and I need a soft, cushy landing. That, that, That wasn't it. That wasn't me. That's not my nature. I think my nature in general to live is to live in absolute truth. And I took a piece of paper and I lined it. And on the left side, I wrote God and the right side, I wrote no God. And I began this, this journey of truth. Is it plausible that there's this, this spirit in the sky, this overwhelming force that created everything and created us in his image? Or is there, or, or is it simply that nothing exploded at some point and by random chance, right? Life forms and it evolves to a place where there's human beings and there's, and there's this, this beauty and love and listen, and there's hate yeah, and that, right. There's, 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 there's all of it. There's evil and there's good, but, but, but is it plausible that humans could come at a pure chance? And ultimately my reading, my studying, you know, I, I went to people far brighter than me. I studied evolution uh, I looked into, you know, believers, mm-hmm. you know, God fearing, God loving people. And ultimately I dropped on my knees after about six months because the facts, not, 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 not mindless thinking, but facts led me to believe that it's more plausible that there's a creator than in chance. And, you know, I dropped on my knees. I accepted Christ as my Lord and savior. Um, Again, not out of weakness, out of just truth for, you know, and, and again, I don't want to you know, impose my thinking on anybody. It was really just me seeking and, and this yeah. journey yeah. to tr- not like I could have never come to the place because someone told me to go there. Right. I think I had, to, unfortunately, now some people do, but for me, I needed, I needed this deep pain to explore deeper why I'm here and where yeah. I'm going. Yeah. I want to know where you are. Uh, and listen, if and Jeff, I believe this. Is it right if I call? I don't even call yeah, you, please Jeff. Please do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, ultimately, I'd like to think, I'd like to think I'd be in the same place now if I didn't find God. Mm-hmm. But I can't guarantee that, yeah. right? My life, I was struggling. I was in pain. Uh, and I don't know where my life would be if I didn't find God right now. But I only know where it is, yeah. and God really guided me through all this. Right. The only, only real explanation I can, my toughness helped, you know. And I would like to think that I was tough enough that no matter what, my life would be where it is now. But I, 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 I couldn't, right? I couldn't guarantee that. Yeah. So the, the the unchosen suffering took me to a deeper place that chosen suffering ever took me to, and that is, is God real? And and my journey led me to believe that, yeah. yes, he's absolutely yeah. real. And he carried me through the times I needed him. I was about to say, one of the greatest privileges of my life has been with some of the toughest men on the planet in the U.S. military, in special operations, when they've just gone through a major crisis and everything that they have been hoping for just evolved, you know, just evaporated right in front of their hands when their best friend was just killed or they got blown up and now everything looks uncertain. And they're asking this question, what happened to my buddy who just got killed? Where is literally the exact same words they're asking? Where is my buddy right now? And I don't know the answer. And I've had the privilege of helping shaping many men, some really tough men to help them figure out the answer to that question. And I, I really like to just camp here for a second. How did, how exactly for the people that don't share your faith or my faith, and they're saying, I don't understand how would just simply believing that there's a God really help you get through this unfathomable loss, the pain that goes along with losing a child. Yeah. So I would say that 
most importantly, it wasn't a fake belief, right? That, that it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to believe in God now and watch how this gets me through. Just like you know, I can reflect back on my chosen suffering, my belief in Gable wasn't fake. It right. was absolute, right? It was a real, it was a fact. I needed the facts I had on Gable's life were at every level he was, he was producing elite level people, right? I didn't go to the person that said, Hey, I can help you. And I, I, I assessed their life and it wasn't a life that had any signs of, of being able to, to, to move me to a place where I needed to go. So ultimately I started with just studying, uh, trying to learn facts about whether Jesus was real or not. Mm -hmm. Right. I had to come to a place. So I ultimately, some people don't need this. I needed it. Right. Some people go, but, but for me, it was, it was what facts can lead me to believe that he lived, that he taught, did he resurrect or not? Um, did he do, did he do these miracles? Right. There is evidence to his existence. We know that. Now the question is, was he who he said he was right. or not? That's right. But simply for me, the most important thing was, was, was ruling out the disbelief, you know, the, 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 and, and making sure that, look, he is who he said he is. Right. And there's always going to be the virgin birth, right? There's always going to be these things that you can get sidetracked right. on a little, but the question is, were there more facts than there weren't? Right. And, 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 and there were for me. And it wasn't like this blind faith and hope in this weak person just falling on something that wasn't true. So first and foremost, for me, I went to the smartest minds. I went to people that were brilliant, that had no stake in it to, 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 yeah. to lead me in a right. place of, of just, just I, Lee Strobel helped me so much. Yeah. Rick Warren, some of these, some of these believers, people that, that study this, uh, historians, biblical experts that, that, that easily could, could have said, look, I looked into it. It's baloney, right? Scripture isn't, uh -huh. can't be what it was. So I really, I went about it from a doubtful place first, right? I wanted to, I wanted to rule out uh, and really just pursue truth. And I looked into evolution, yeah. right? I, I watched DVDs on evolution. Instead of listening to rock and roll in my car from my house to work every day, I started listening to people and look, evolution and God can live side by side. Mm -hmm. Evolution is real. We do evolve, right? But the question for evolution to rule out the existence of a God, it's just not, it's just not there. So, so I went about it systematically, um, compiling facts, listening to people, learning, learning, not prejudging. I didn't right. say there's no God and the only facts I'm going to apply are the ones that lead to no God. And I didn't say God is real and the only facts I'm going to apply are the facts that lead to, no. I opened books, I read, I studied, I learned. And after, it was about six months. Um, and it was the pain that drove me. Right. You know, when my life was good, I was busy living. Oh, yeah. You know, my life, my team was doing great. I had a pool, I had air conditioning. You know, in my house, I was comfortable. The comfort of my life was not driving me to look at something I needed to find out, but it was only in the, in the pure emptiness of my life and, and the pain in my life that I, that I, 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 I decided to learn. And, and listen, the facts, the facts bounced off the page. Yeah. It became overwhelmingly clear to me that there's a God and I chose to follow him. Yeah. Anybody who's read your book, Chosen Suffering, will hear this story played out. But for those of you who haven't got his book, go out today. I'm serious. Go out today and get the book, Chosen Suffering, by Tom Ryan. You've heard a guy who doesn't take the easy path. So he's not running to faith to be an escape from the pain of losing a son. He's a guy who sat there and thought diligently about all of the facts. And by the way, Tom, you're already aware of this because you've had a chance to talk to people like Lee Strobel and others, but 
Some of the most brilliant minds in history have done the exact same thing you've done. They've just looked at the facts and it became overwhelming to them. All of the facts overwhelmingly lead to the fact that there really is a God. There really was a guy by the name of Jesus. He really did die and really did physically come out of the grave alive 2,000 years ago. And that's the game changer if you're wondering, where is my son right now? Can you wrap up this episode? Can you coach people for just a second? You're a coach. Would you coach people that are going through suffering right now and their suffering is so severe and so difficult that they don't know how they're going to handle tomorrow? Would you coach them for just a second? And what would you say to them? Yeah, no, so I'm 16 years, right? I'm I'm 16, going on, well, 17, almost 18 years, right? Removed from the death of my son. Day one, listen, I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I was the most motivated guy in the world. I was curled up in a begging for mercy. I couldn't stop crying. My wife was crying. My wife struggled with life, right? I mean, we went through some really hardships, right? So, so whether you're in that place right now where it's new and fresh, right? I'm again, I'm 18 years removed. I look back at those days and man, time, 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 time isn't the, the cure, right? But time has taught me, right? I just call it a new normal, right? I live five years of my life with six people, right? In my home. Now I've lived 18 years, right, with five people in my home. So time away from it, it does help. But I would say, I would say this, right? Whether you're like me and you're 18 years removed or you're one day removed, right? Yeah. Yesterday, your pops passed away and you're a young kid, right? Or your mom just passed away. We start small, right? We start small disciplines. We start with small disciplines, right? You spend... 30 minutes out of your bed when the day before it was 29, right? You go on a walk that's right. If you're, if you're struggling with the depression and, and your fitness level, you don't, you don't run a marathon, right? You start with one walk around the block, right? You start with, if you're a kid struggling with this one, you start with just make your bed, right? Do something simple. I remember when I, when I went to Iowa, it was just let me get a hold of his leg. That was a victory, right? You know, like I'm getting beat. So unmerciful. let me just grab a leg. And that leg was all the encouragement I needed, you know? And then a week later it was, I grabbed the leg twice. And then a month later it was, I finished on the leg once like these small victories, like these small disciplines, you know, right now I just started a fast. I'm in this fast for three weeks now. Mm-hmm. 11. I wanted a little more discipline in my life. All right. I wanted to do something that I, I could show myself, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I can do this, right? So from 11 to 6 o'clock at night, I don't eat, right? I eat rather. From 7 to 11 in the morning, I don't eat. Right? The discipline, I can drink all I want, but I don't eat. So anybody suffering, number one, it's all right to grieve. It's all right to feel, it's all right to feel hopeless for a while. It's all right. It's normal human nature to just grieve and be in this grieving place of deep pain, right? But share it. Find the strength to share what you're feeling because someone else has dealt with it and they'll help you with it. You know, small disciplines, put one foot in front of the other. And before long, before long, you'll be in a better place. Listen, I I can, I can, I don't promise a lot of things, right? I don't say never usually, but you'll, you'll, right. We can come through this. You'll, you'll, you'll come through it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and I was about to say, Tom, no wonder why you're such a successful coach, because you just did a beautiful job of coaching somebody who's saying, I just experienced this overwhelming event and I don't know how I'm going to get healthy again. Well, don't worry about getting healthy. Don't focus about getting a hundred percent better. Just focus on something very small. You can do something very small today and tomorrow a little bit more, and the day after that a little bit more, and over time, you'll be able to finally get yourself back to some sense of normal. Life has never gone back to what it was while Teague was still with you, but you do have now a new normal while Teague is no longer with you. Yeah, yeah, a new normal. That's that's powerful. That's new normal, so powerful, yeah. 
Hey, I have heard about 15 things, and I'm not exaggerating from you today, Tom, that I am going to take with me. I'm going to put into practice personally, and I hope that people that have listened to this episode have heard about 15 things from you that they're going to put into practice. But if you heard nothing else, hear what Coach Ryan said to you today. If you're struggling and it's really, really bad, then start small. Just make those small disciplines, and tomorrow, take a step a little bit further, and the day after that, a little bit further, and eventually, you'll get to a new normal. Man, thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule as the head coach of a major wrestling program and being with me on this episode of Unbeatable. Yeah, hey, thanks so much. I'm really, I'm really grateful that uh, you had me on. You know, we have a saying here, I like with this, we have a saying, right? You can't be fearful and grateful in the same moment. And gratitude, man, gratitude is such a, such a, a powerful tool. So I'm really grateful. It was great to spend time with you. And thanks for your service. Yeah, I'm writing that down. That's number 16 for me now. You can't be fearful and grateful at the same time. Thanks a bunch, coach. Yeah, God bless. Man. We'll see you. See you. Hey, I'm going to say it one more time. You've already heard it from him. You've heard it from me. If you're struggling, if life just became unmerciful and you don't know how to handle what you're going through, get up tomorrow and make one small step forward. And the day after that, make another small step forward. Listen, the reason this podcast exists is to just help you handle some of your greatest challenges in life. And what an amazing episode with Coach Tom Ryan. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Unbeatable. If you're connecting with us for the first time, why don't you follow us on social media? All you have to do is search for at Unbeatable Podcast on all of the social media platforms and you'll find us and you can follow us there. And if you really liked what you heard today, go ahead and rate us on your favorite podcast platform and let everybody know how awesome this podcast is. Now, I'm a guy who loves quotes. In fact, I collect quotes and I packaged some of my favorite quotes of all time in one small resource. I call it the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide and I'll give it to you totally free. All you gotta do is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com and sign up and I'll send you the free PDF. Thanks for being part of this episode today. I hope you have a great week. See you next time.